Welcome to the Onyx Pathcast. I'm this week's host, Eddie Webb, and with me are Dixie Cochran. Hi there. And Matthew Dawkins. Ahoy, hoy. Ahoy, hoy, hi to you too. How are you both doing today? Doing all right. I am fully vaccinated, which means that I have felt like shit for the past three days since I got my shot, but now I feel much less like shit. I am fan dabby dozy, Eddie. Fan dabby dozy? Yes. What? Uh, that uh, means I am positively a swell with joy, joie de vivre, my friend, mon frere. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, he's speaking in tongues. I mean, he's speaking in French. Well, it, it is a tongue. Ça va? Yeah, it is a tongue, <laughs> that's true. I remember very little of my school time French, I've got to be honest. I'm Same, honestly. through another language, but I can still say je m'appelle Matthew. What, did, what language did you study? Japanese. Well, it is more useful. Yes. Eh. Japanese is more useful. If you like anime. Which I do, so. Unless you're in France. <laughs> what if you're in France at an anime convention? I don't think they allow such things. They're very strict. I, I think they do. <laughs> so at the risk of alienating our entire French audience, we'll just move right along to the topic of today's episode. <laughs> um, uh, today uh, uh, is an anima design diary, which uh, I recorded to kind of talk about uh, the upcoming Trinity Continuum anima. And I did this for a couple of reasons. Uh, the first of which was because it, uh, anima, we're going to start showing off more of it in the near future. Uh, in fact, uh, the first uh, playtest that's going to be open to the public in terms of people seeing the playtest itself uh, is going to happen at Onyx PathCon. I've done a couple of private playtests, but this is the first time we'll be showing it off to the world as it were. Uh, and uh, we have many players, including uh, Dixie as well. And many Hi. players and also Dixie. <laughs> I'm not many players. You're not many players. Many players, one pathcast. <laughs> many many pl- players, one anima. <laughs> I'll say, say one Dixie, but that also works. Many Dixies, one player. <laughs> <laughs> Dixie contains multitudes. Um, but yeah, so, uh, so I thought it might be a good time to kind of talk about... Uh, my own thoughts on it. I mean, uh, I haven't actually done one of these since uh, uh, Pirates of Pugmire, but um, I thought it was worth to kind of go over it again. Um, uh, but uh, uh, hang on a second. Someone's at the door and like waving at me. I'm clearly talking to Woo! a microphone, buddy. Let's all hang out here. <clears throat> Sorry. Leave it all in. Leave it all in. Leave it all in. Go on live. Pressing at the door. Um, uh, but no, the other reason is that during our uh, third uh, mailbag episodes, um, my internet kind of went weird and we lost my entire audio track. So uh, as kind of an apology for having to record the episode, um, I recorded this as kind of a way to kind of help fill in a gap. And then, of course, in the process of recording this intro and outro, um, it happened again. So it's, <laughs> my apology did not work nearly as well as, as it should have. But uh, anyway, it is here now and we're doing it now. So. And the person at the door has given up and walked off. Good. Good. I hope they weren't Good. on fire. Get out of here. Or, you know, did they look at, <laughs> did they look on fire? No, um, they just look annoyed. Oh, well, that, it could have been a small fire. <laughs> it could have been a small fire. I, I would be annoyed if, let's say, just my right leg was on fire. I think that would be annoyance. I would be annoyed if any part of me were on fire. Ah, well, I think at some point the annoyance turns into alarm. <laughs> I think I think I'd be alarmed if any part of me were on fire. You okay? So you you don't think there would be any point where you just kind of go, ah, oh, fuck's sake? 
because you've discovered a small part of yourself was on fire. That would be like if, <laughs> if let's say my, I don't know, let, let's go for, uh, if I if the elbow on my left sleeve was on fire, <laughs> I I think I go, oh fucking hell, and then I'd pat it out. A sleeve is different from an arm. Yes, you said your arm was on fire. If well, my arm is on fire, if any part of my actual body is on fire, I'm alarmed. If I do have like a small flame on my shirt that I can pat out, that I'm irritated. Ah, okay, all right. What about if your little finger was on fire? I think I would be alarmed. <laughs> it's my skin. At which point does alarm become terror? <laughs> this is the question we will ask know. in Trinity Continuum Anima. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it is. We, we will not, in fact, be talking about this in Trinity Continuum Anima. Uh, uh, but let's let's go into what uh, we will be talking about in Trinity Continuum Anima, which is not being set on fire, but other interesting design things. So we'll go into that. Long story short, um, my internet has been really crappy the past couple of weeks, and it's actually eaten now a couple of Pathcast recordings. So whenever you hear us make reference to, oh, hey, um, we lost this episode and we had to re-record it, odds are it's probably because of my internet. And so I do have Comcast coming today to kind of fix it, and hopefully that will solve the problems going forward. But I felt really bad that uh, Dixie Matthew and I got together and actually did a, a, a really fun episode, and then we ended up just losing all of the all of my audio for it. Uh, so I offered to record another design diary to kind of help fill the gap. And to be fair, I've been meaning to do one of these anyway. I really enjoyed uh, doing the one I did for Pirates of Pugmire and the deep dive that Dixie and I did recently for Squeaks in the Deep kind of really fills the same void, so I didn't really think we need to do that again. So I offered to actually spend some time talking specifically about Trinity Continuum Anima, because it was a project that was had some interesting challenges that I think are worth a kind of, of articulating and documenting. So first, I can go back to the beginning from my perspective. When uh, I came on board as in-house developer, uh, Trinity was pretty much the second thing I had to look at. The first was Scion. That was the closest to getting out the door, and so it was running behind. Rich wanted me to kind of just get that moving. But because of the time I came on board, StoryPath was still in its final development phases. Naturally, there was some interlinked discussion between Scion and Trinity. And so... Pretty soon after that, we got into a discussion about where we want to take Trinity, where we want to go, and we had just finished Trinity Core and Aeon, and they were about to go to Kickstarter, I believe. Uh, and so Rich was very clear up front that once we do uh, what we were calling the tentpole games, which were Aeon, Aberrance, and Adventure, that then we want to do additional games kind of in between as well as outside the bounds of those three games. And we had a lot of ideas. We just threw a bunch of stuff at the board. Um, I'm not going to go into all of that because some of those will make you come projects and I don't want to kind of uh, uh, anticipate them. Uh, Ian has mentioned obliquely some already in various interviews. So we definitely had plans for doing these kinds of games even before I came on board. But once... 
we uh, we had some big ideas, and then once we got Aberrant done and Adventure was going, we wanted to talk about what the fourth game was going to be. And that's a pretty big discussion if you think about it, because Trinity Continuum, before it was even the Trinity Continuum, but it's all we ever been in those three games. And Adventure almost didn't become a game. It was almost just Aeon and Aberrant, and that was it. Rich really fought hard for Adventure to get published, and all credit to him, um, the Adventure First Edition was is now, while it wasn't a sales success, it was definitely a critical success. A lot of people still mention Adventure to this day, and frankly, Adventure inspired a lot of the design for Second Edition, Trinity Continuum, uh, specifically with things like dramatic editing. So we knew we wanted to do more than that because Rich had been very passionate believer in the continuum even back at white wolf and so we had had some ideas uh in the midst of this rich received a a pitch for a game uh by uh, dominic parent uh who some of you may know online is your and it was for a game set in the near future kind of a cyberpunk star world with uh an mmo component the idea was that the MMO world was uh, a, a, a distinct mechanical element of this game. So people were playing the MMO, and the MMO kind of filled the role of, of cyberspace in 90s-era cyberpunk games. And there were strange things happening inside the MMO. Uh, and so a lot, it also all seems familiar compared to uh, what we were talking about in the anima, because the idea was, was pretty strong. Rich... Uh, talked about it, and then kicked it over to Ian and I and said, can we put this into Trinity? And initially, it was actually a harder discussion than you would think. For a while, we weren't sure that we were going to put it in 2084. Uh, We weren't sure it made sense to fit. And the way that the, the... Materials presented as slightly more uh, utopian worlds. There was a lot of interesting components and it alludes to space travel. And so it's like, well, maybe this is something we need to do after Aeon. Or maybe even kind of during Aeon or right before Aeon. Somewhere in the, the space opera component. And so we did some initial discussion design with that in mind. That we were going to be doing it in the far, far future. And... Then, uh, so, and, and with these kinds of projects, what usually happen is uh, we'll start work on it, and then we'll slow down it for a while. Because, uh, again, at this point, uh, Aberrant was still finalizing. Uh, we were, I was going through, this is before, like, Arata went, uh, Aberrant went through the second Arata phase. Adventure was just getting started. So it's like, we don't really have to jump on this. Yet. So this is 2019. And I wasn't even sure who was going to be the developer for it yet. So we were just kind of nailing things down. And, and I was really only speaking uh, from the perspective of I'm helping Ian as the production guy. So it's like, okay, cool, it's great. You have these ideas. I got quick ideas around too. But at the end of the day, whatever Ian or Rich wants, that's fine. I'll just try to make it go. Uh, so I, I remember talking to Dominic. We got to actually uh, talk face-to-face. Uh, I believe it was at uh, PAX Unplugged. And uh, I was like, yeah, things are going forward. Um, I'm not sure who's going to develop it yet. It might be me, but that's I, I want to kind of save that for if we can't find another alternative. 
And he was like, okay, cool, great. I would love it if you did it, but you know, whatever you want to do, great. And, and, and Dominic has been supportive throughout all of this. Uh, so uh, Rich purchased the idea from Dominic. And then we started actually looking at it. And one thing I noticed uh, was, for a time, the game's called uh, Trinity Avatar. And so we kept screwing up the name. Uh, it was pretty, pretty late in the pitch process that we finally settled on Anima. And Ian was separately pitching some post-Avarant War ideas. And we kept getting confused as to, is this part of Avatar or not? And so we had another conversation. This was like several months after the first conversation. And I was like, so why did we make that choice? And it really came down to, well, if Ian was struggling with trying to get the existing real-world material to work, and the only way he could see it making work is if we moved it into the far future. So at one point, I was like, why don't we just ditch all of that? And we, we keep just the MMO side of things. We keep... The, the idea of what this is trying to do, but we start from scratch on the real world side, as it were. And Ian's like, well, I, I, again, I had these ideas for that time period. I was like, why don't we just merge these together? So we're only really focusing on uh, what that time is called Thea side of uh, the MMO um, for uh, Exurgence was the name of the MMO at the time. And we'll marry that to whatever we think we need to do for the Trinity side. And then it was like, oh, yeah, okay, well, every, all three of us were like, well, then that makes total sense. And at that point in time, I uh, it was right beginning of 2020. And so I said, you know what, I'm looking at my plate. Uh, uh, I, I've got squeaks in deep. Uh, but I, Aberrant's pretty much in a good place. Uh, Danielle's got adventure sorted so I could pick this up and actually I was starting to get excited about the idea because I have been a cyberpunk fan for a very long time uh, I cut my teeth on literary cyberpunk so I read a lot of William Gibson uh, not too long after it was originally published so late 80s I was actually reading a lot of that as well as uh, Walter John Williams uh, and, and his other contemporaries and I was also a big fan of the Cyberpunk tabletop role-playing game. I even played the original version of what's now called Cyberpunk 2013 in the box set. 2020 was a later addition to me. But I also played Shadowrun. I was of an age to where I had strong opinions about Shadowrun versus Cyberpunk until I finally realized that both games are just fine and are doing different things, but they're both great in their own way. So I had strong opinions about Cyberpunk, but also specifically I have been paying attention to the discourse of where Cyberpunk needs to go because some parts of Cyberpunk are not aged well. And I was like, I really want to kind of take it back to literary Cyberpunk where the core of the gaming came from. And so Rich's like, we clearly have ideas about this, so you should just develop it. And I was like, okay, yeah, I, I think I've talked myself into doing that. But Ian and I had worked with Steve Kenson on Aberrant, and I found that relationship really, really good. And because I mean, this is the first brand new Trinity book, I thought it was important to have Ian on board because we were going to be inventing material for probably the first time. With the caveat of a lot of the uh, reframing of 
all the new additions of Aeon, Apparent, and Adventure involved some new work as well as existing work. It wasn't just file of serial numbers. Adventure is probably the closest to that, and even then we still move the timeline up 10 years. But uh, Aberrant and Aeon specifically were new as well as old, and of course Trinity Core is completely new. So it's not just the first time we've ever done new material for Trinity Continuum, but it was the first game that was whole cloth, not based on any other things aside from Trinity Core. And we were really happy with how Trinity Core turned out, uh, both as a game system and as a setting. So I wanted to make sure we did this one right. So I wanted to make sure Ian was on board as a, as a developer, not just the content lead. And for process purposes, I think it's important to distinguish is that as content leads, what Ian mainly does is uh, we he is involved in discussions of pitches, outlines, he reads over manuscripts and comments on them, and then he, uh, I think, glances over layouts, but I may be wrong on that. But generally speaking, he is an approval person for most of the time. Uh, he also uh, is involved in brainstorms. We talk about what we want to do in the future of Trinity, and a lot of Trinity books either come from him or he is heavily involved in the initial idea behind them. For a lot of those books, they then go to developers, uh, and in the case of like uh, Aeon, um, John Sneed, they handle day-to-day uh, -day development on Aeon books along with uh, uh, Leith Shields, and then uh, right now Chris Allen is handling uh, Aberrant, and so uh, he, again, he will take books and go off in them. But for really the exception of Adventure, all Ian has been involved in the core books on a more direct level, and in this case, uh, with Aberrant's having Ms. Kodev, he was involved in first draft rewrites. He was involved in red lines. Uh, he was involved in design discussions. And if he did that for every book, that would be way too much work. But for certain key books, it makes sense to bring him in more closely. So uh, I felt like this was a case where I wanted to do that. Plus, he was... Uh, the idea behind some of the, the real-world stuff. So it's like, well, let's go ahead and just build that out. So uh, that's kind of how it all got started. And so I had basically this relatively fully formed fantasy world on one hand. And Ian's rough ideas that bridged the gap between Aberrant and Aeon and the other. And I kind of had to merge them together. And I was genuinely excited about that because we had enough material to build an interesting foundation, but we weren't constrained in any way. So uh, the initial discussions for the outline, outline took, outline took quite a while. Uh, it was into COVID that we started working on that outline. And I remember the outline process being tough just because I had to do a lot of thinking about where I wanted to go with everything. And... To be honest, most of my focus was on uh, what we're now calling the, the Cascade side, because Cascade is the name of the city that the game is based in. And I'll talk about that in a second. But there's the Cascade side, and then there's the uh, MMO side, which is now called Terra Search. I, have, I made a couple of changes. Um, uh, we changed uh, Thea to uh, Senestia. Uh, that was a second name that Dominic proposed, uh, because I, I thought Thea was just a little too hard to say. Um, and it was close to another fantasy world setting. So I was like, it was just enough. It, was like, it didn't look right to me. Um, there, I had a couple of concerns. We talked them over. Everyone kind of agreed. Uh, Senestia works fine. And also, I liked it because it, it sounds close to synthetic. And so I feel like that resonance of it's a fictional world inside of a fictional world 
really played well in my head. Uh, the other one was that um, uh, originally it was, the game's called Exurgence uh, with a, a capital S in the middle of Exurgence. Uh, and it was a bit too 90s or 2000s for me. So again, we, we workshopped it and, and we uh, changed the name of the game in Mode to Terra Surge. Uh, so Dominic was involved in the, the brainstorming side of, of the MMO. Um, and so I didn't bring him on board as, as a co-dev, mainly just because he never had that experience before and I didn't want to overwhelm him. Uh, so uh, instead, he kind of took Ian's role to a degree where he was involved in uh, the outline approval phase, the manuscript approval phase. Uh, I brought him into uh, the writer's pool so he could answer questions on the MMO side because, again, I had kind of left it. It was it was. It was the material was all really there, uh, and my my plan originally was I would just take that material and rewrite it and put it in the book because it was done. We paid for it. I didn't really want to rework it too heavily. So my original plan was I'm just going to hire for uh, making sure that the new Cyberpunk side really chilled, and, of course, the rules and all of that. Uh, so uh, outlining was basically, as far as Nessie's concerned, I'll handle it black box um i brought i immediately pinged uh, danielle and said can you design this mmo thing and again we had initial talk she was like one of the first people i talked to about this uh and i was like i had developed this mini game system for uh, nwe which matthew and i talked about in our wrestling episode and i was like i believe this is a good core for a really streamlined thin down version of story path my supposition was that these initial design ideas could be built out to do story path in a very small space. And since the goal was that you would be playing characters inside of... You're playing characters in a MO, uh, played by characters in a game. I didn't want the game systems to be completely different. I wanted to be very familiar to story path so you can apply a lot of the same rules, but I wanted it also to be faster and easier. It should be adding a couple numbers together, rolling dice, moving on, that kind of... of ease because people are not going to be spending as much time in the MMO and, and it doesn't need as much depth as a traditional story path game. So really I was like, I need to take all of story path and put it down to about 10,000 words, which is um, you know, like 23 pages in a book. Uh, and Danielle was excited for the challenge. She was excited about the idea of doing an MMO. So she was immediately like, oh yeah, I have tons of ideas. And I was like, great. You know what? Just here's what I did for NWE go. That was pretty much it. We, we had meetings and we talked things over and whatnot, but that was my initial idea was I'll just let Danielle do that. I'll write my bits. We'll synchronize them. No big deal. Um, and then uh, Dixie mentioned that uh, she was really interested in doing it, and we had a talk about uh, where she was coming from, because I knew she was not as strong as, as a designer, uh, but she had played a lot of MMOs through her life, and she had really good instincts of not only classic MMOs, because my MMO knowledge kind of stops around 2013 when I stopped working on the World Arts MMO. She's been playing MMOs since then, but also played a much wider variety of MMOs. And one of the things I said is that I want, I want to make sure this feels like a modern MMO space because we are putting in the future, so I don't want people in the future to be referencing outdated memes or concepts. And so I, I, I'm thinking not only World of Warcraft, but also uh, uh, you know the Final Fantasy MMO. I'm thinking of uh, even actually the Old Republic is 10 years old at this point in time. But you know there's a whole bunch of Korean MMOs coming out there. A lot of the free-to-play model style of MMO, uh, they they just do the game differently. And I did play a lot of those games uh, as research. 
both uh, mobile games as well as full PC games. And even I played it like an MMO on my Switch. So I was trying to play MMOs even for a couple of hours in as many different forms that could just get my head around where the space is now. She had already done a lot of that just in her casual life. Uh, and she had a lot of really strong ideas. And so I was like, you know what? You want this huge chunk of words. Uh, and she was like, yeah, I'll give it a shot. So um, I was like, fine. The stuff I was going to do, I just moved it over to her. Uh, so, again, a lot of my time was then spent on figuring out how do we bridge this gap. And so one of the things that Ian said right off the bat, and I agree with, was the Aberrant War is not what this is about. It is about the aftermath of that war. So we talk about the Aberrant War, but people who aren't familiar with the Trinitarian background, all they need to know is very powerful people ruined the planet and then fucked off. That's it. That's all you need to know. Uh, and now we're living with the consequences of that. So... Uh, we really kind of focused in on that piece of it. And one of the things that we came out of that was that uh, in the wake of, we have things like uh, uh, your fiber networks and opnet that people probably didn't need to be as localized over the 10 years. They're starting a migration period before the war happened. And then it made a ton of sense to migrate because if you stay away from large population areas, there's less chance of something bad happening to you. So the idea that there was this kind of not migration away from cities, but rather just kind of a homogenizing movement. People moved into less populated spaces. Some people stayed in larger areas, but some people moved away and because they just didn't need to you know, work in a physical building. Uh, and then uh, it was, okay, so how do we deal with that? We also realized that playing in a dystopian world is not what we're going for because cyberpunk still has a strong urban component. And that kind of led to, well, let's base this around one city. And originally it was just called The City. Uh, we talked about just keeping it kind of really, really vague. Everything was very kind of 1984-style plain language. Uh, but Rich, again, correctly, was like, no, it needs to have a name. We need to hold a name on it. So we came up with a brand new name, which is called Cascade. Um, and this is a new city that um, the FSA has created. And it's going to be the shining new way to show that we are moving past the horrors of the Aberrant War. Now, the FSA has always been, in every iteration of the Trinity Continuum, a, a fascist organization. Uh, and so you have, and it makes sense for fascists to build something new and say, look at this amazing thing we did, come live here. That's, that's the kind of thing the fascists do. Uh, so... We're talking about people working remotely uh, and having to deal with a government that appears to be trying to be benevolent but actually is not so secretly fascist. Uh, and people willing to give up their liberties in exchange for security all during 2020. And on the Onyx Pathcast, we don't talk a lot about politics, but we can't ignore the tone and tenor of 2020. And it was, I knew going into this was going to be a hard book to make uh, for a lot of reasons. I mean, I, we started writing around April, I believe. 
Uh, so we weren't we weren't sure what was going to happen with COVID. Uh, but in my head, I was like, well, people work from home anyway. I was still in this mindset of it'll be fine. You know, just you're, they're working from home more easily now. It, just make it happen. It didn't turn out that way. This book was logistically one of the more complicated. And part of that was because I had write, several writers come to me and say, I'm struggling with this book partially because of the world's on fire, partially because it is way too close to home. In fact, a lot of the first drafts I got back were apologetic. Uh, there's a lot of, but no, we don't support fascism. Um, and I, I, I sympathize with that. But on some level, the point of the game is that people had to find Living in Cascade attractive. The city had to be attractive. And it's not a dystopian hellscape. You know, Cascade is a brand new city that's built in the ashes. And we, we structured Cascade in a way that you could put Cascade anywhere you want to in the world. But it is not so secretly Vancouver. Um, it's so... Uh, Mike Tomasek, who I uh, tasked with writing the Cascade chapter, he actually did research into Vancouver and how Vancouver could evolve and change if it were rebuilt. If Vancouver were destroyed and then rebuilt, what would that look like? And that's actually where the name Cascade came from um, uh, because he did research in the area and found that the Cascade was one of the original names of the settlement, I believe. So uh, we, we built on that. And, and again, it was, it was some hard work uh, because it had to be gameable. It had to be something that's... Uh, was worth people wanting to fight against, but also it gave people strong reasons to stay in this area. So that was a tricky balance. That was something that was spent a lot of time working on. And so we had meetings as a team to talk about a lot of topics like this. We also talked about uh, cyberware. And one of the things that I initially wanted to avoid was I definitely didn't want to have any kind of you are less human for having cyberware. Uh, in fact, we went kind of the opposite route, which is what are the therapeutic benefits of implants and assisted devices of this kind? Uh, but one of the key things was that um, Ian was very keen. He wanted to have a, a brain implant be kind of the central MacGuffin. So glass. Uh, glass was is what we use to input into your brain uh, to perceive things and the MMO basically is streamed into your head through glass. And there's a lot of therapeutic potential benefits for having something that's like if you had a device in your head that could regulate your brain chemicals uh, and uh, administer medication if you needed it on exactly the right doses, exactly the right times, particularly if you're having an event. Like if you say you're prone to seizures uh, and if you had a device in your head that could give you anti-seizure med before the seizure even happened because it recognizes the symbols going on in your brain and can prevent it, that's massive and huge. Um, but also having a device in your head that can alter your memories is terrifying. So uh, we had to kind of carefully walk that line. And uh, uh, Neil, Raymond Price, uh, I hired to do the cyber section. And that was one thing he took very much on board was trying to find the right balance of presenting all the benefits of this technology while recognizing that it is scary because any technology can be misused. I don't want to apologize for it because it, it can be abused and we should recognize the fact that it can be abused. But also the fact that it can be abused should not mean that the technology should be just tossed out. So, and that's very cyberpunk, right? That's very the core of cyberpunk is, is you know, the street will find a way. Uh, every tool has a use uh, and every tool has an abuse. So I felt like we were really tapping into the cores of cyberpunk. We have uh, an authority, a strong authority that people can rebel against. We have these tools that everyone has access to, but certain people recognize benefits above and beyond potentially uh, what they could be. 
uh, and uh, we could we could kind of wipe away some of the the ableist uh, tropes of cyberpunk by focusing on the fact that a lot of this a lot of cybernetic limbs are there because people went through a devastating war. A lot of people are going to be disabled as a result of a horrible war. That's the result of these kinds of conflicts. So naturally, people who aren't comfortable with their identity as disabled want to get something close to able-bodied life. Um, and so they want to, you know, have their limbs back to something resembling working order and the lot. So again, there's a reason why there's lots of cyber in this game, not because it's cool and interesting, but because that's what survivors of a war have. Uh, so I felt like the the pieces were really falling into place. And again, this happened over the course of, I believe, two meetings and a long design line and lots of discussions in Slack, uh, either me, me individually with the, the writers or just as a group. So there's lots of discussion about this and it kind of evolved. And even in the first drafts, there's lots of, okay, this isn't going where I want it to. Let's change this direction. Let's do this. Let's do that. And that's common in games, particularly it's common for a new game. It's the most we've done, I think, for a Trinity game to my mind. And that's, again, because we're, we're, we're on a whole new ground here. Uh, so, like, for example, one of the things is that every Trinity game as far has been kind of a world travelogue. It'll tell you the whole world in the state. But we definitely wanted this one to be smaller. We wanted it to be in the confines of Cascade because a lot of literary cyberpunk is a succession of small spaces. Uh, uh, Neuromancer is a great example. You start off in Night City, which is a section of Tokyo, uh, and then you move to a space station, which is a cramped space station, and you move to you know another city, but you only see like the waterfront and a hotel. Uh, so you get the sense of you could travel, you're traveling around the world and even in space, but each of those spaces themselves feel kind of com confined and grimy. Uh, we didn't want the grimy part, but we didn't want the confined part. So we do reference what's going on in the rest of the world, but basically it amounts to the rest of the world's kind of terrible after the Arab War. Uh, and so fleeing to a space that proposes to be safe and is clean and new is really attractive to a lot of people. Uh, so that's kind of how that evolved. Um, then the other part was, how do we marry this with, with the MMO side? Uh, and... While I did kind of have two teams, I had uh, Dixie, Danielle, and Dominic, my 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 team of D, D people, uh, really working on that side, and everyone else working the other side. Uh, I, I did say at the front that these things need to they can't be blended because I distinctly wanted to compare and contrast the two genres, something that hadn't been done in a training game before. Every training game is ultimately one genre and taken to interesting directions, but Aeonis Space Opera, Aberrant is superheroes, adventurers, pulp. Uh, th at their core, that's what they are. And so a lot of design decisions, particularly in second edition, were how do we emphasize and accentuate those genres and also do some interesting things with those genres. So Aberrant is not exactly Marvel Cinematic Universe, but still inspired by the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, Aeon is not exactly Mass Effect, but heavily inspired by what Mass Effect does with Space Opera, so on and so forth. Uh, with this, I wanted to take lit RPG and cyberpunk and put them side by side because they're two very different genres on some levels and two and and when you dig into them they're very similar they both ultimately involved using technology to try to do the right thing at, at the core that's both of those are kind of trying to do they're doing them very different ways uh 
But one of the things that I noticed right away when we put those two together was that by having the MMO, it gets rid of the Netrunner problem. The Netrunner problem, if you're not familiar, is that in classic cyberpunk games, there is one person you call a Netrunner uh, or uh, an Edgerunner or whatever, a hacker, a person who goes into computer stuff, and they go into a separate room, and they do computer stuff, and basically your game master, you're kind of bouncing between the rest of the team and whatever the Netrunner's doing. Uh, and it's the, the hacker is such a strong trope, even in modern day settings, like the hacker is a separate, distinct person. And so if, if we have a conceptual space to represent computer use and only one person is skilled enough to enter and utilize that space, they're going to get a disproportionate amount of attention because that's just how it is. It's similar to like um, uh, how where certain werewolf characters or mage characters can go into the Umbra. Uh, and so all the Umbra characters can spend time in the Umbra and they're going to get a separate amount of time. But werewolf is actually kind of where it's drawing from is that, well, all werewolves can go in the Umbra. Not all of them are good at it, but all of them can do it. If everyone's playing this MMO, then everyone has some basic amount of computer knowledge and computer use, and so you can go into the MMO and do stuff in the MMO. Certain people are going to be better at it, and that's okay. And this allows people to naturally go back and forth. Um, but obviously an MMO is not the same as conceptualizing all computer use. And it, and that's something that I think when it was in the 80s was a novel and interesting, fascinating idea, but now with the internet, it's kind of dull. It's like, of course, anyone can pull out their phone and Google anything and find it. So that's not an exciting net run. It's just typing in words into Google. Uh, so with the MMO, one of the things that I was fascinated by when I was working and designing an MMO was what people were using MMOs for that weren't obvious. Uh, there were entire guilds in World of Warcraft, for example, who would get together and just socialize. They would make up characters and they would play a character, uh, and they would just sit around and play their characters, their, their RP servers. But they wouldn't even go out and necessarily follow quests. They would just hang out together and talk in character in the same space. Um, Second Life is not an MMO by traditional design, but it does everything but the MMO part. Uh, it, it allows people to make avatars, allows people to go into spaces. They just don't have a combat system. They just build stuff and hang out. And for my purposes, that's the kind of thing that was valuable to me. Uh, similarly, when um, I believe it was the protests in Egypt, uh, when people or police were monitoring uh, things like Twitter and whatnot, some of them were going into games like uh, World of Warcraft and even, even online and communicating that way secretly. Uh, so they were using MMOs as a way of secure communication. Uh, so people have always found ways to use MMOs beyond just grinding and gaining levels. And so I wanted to reflect that. And of course, with games uh, um, coming out that add more and more things, uh, MMOs have added more things like crafting, uh, more like exploration. As player-generated content, this becomes more and more a buzzword in video game sphere. We realized that an MMO that can do all of that would solve all those problems. So you don't have to cross a town to meet up with someone in a shady bar to have a secret meeting with the person who's going to hire you to do a job. No, you just jump into the MMO. You go into someone's private, you know, safe location, and you're all secure because you're all wearing avatars and you're using your avatar name, so no one knows who anybody is, but you have a private secret conversation that's completely secure. Uh, and... You know, you can build entire villages if you want to have 
you know, gang hangouts. Again, you don't have to leave your house to do that. And, and you can do it in a way that's really hard for the authorities to monitor. And that led to some interesting discussions about, well, then why would the FSA allow such things to exist? It's because people need entertainment. It's like, as one thing I definitely came clear as we went through COVID is that if you're struggling with the outside environment is scary, you need something to keep people at home and keep them not thinking about it. And so having this massively popular MMO that just about anybody can play and anyone can participate in is really compelling and is a very kind of bread and circus thing that the FSA needs. So the thing that they're using to kind of calm and pass by the population is also the thing that can be used as a tool to help overthrow the very same organization. And I loved that resonance, and the writers really gravitated to that too. Uh, so when we were looking at a game like this, um, it's natural to say, well, can I play my Shadowrun character, my Saruman character? And the answer I've been giving online has been maybe, but not completely. Because the default assumption we have is not that you are a underpaid mercenary who's living in the margins of society. Um, a lot of these classic cyberpunk games are basically you're playing exactly those characters and play characters outside of that hard. Trinity assumes the default of you're playing a relatively well-connected character who's very good at their job and doesn't need a lot of support. That's what talents do, and talents are the default character for this game. So you can play a character as a member of the Aeon Society, who is a well-established society. You can play a member of Uptech, which is one of the corporations in the game. Uh, and, of course, you can play the Ghost Wolves, which are uh, a group of renegade hackers. So you still have that classic cyberpunk trope, but it's only one specific allegiance. Uh, but, you know, if you want to play a someone working in a corporation on the inside trying to tear it down from the inside, you can. If you want to play someone as part of a benevolent organization who's trying to help people after a devastating war, you can. Uh, but, again, that really reinforced what I wanted to do, which is that MMOs aren't a thing that only hardcore gamers play anymore. Lots of people play World of Warcraft. Lots of people play World of Warcraft. Lots of people play Korean MMOs. Uh, um, you know, uh, Genshin Impact is a massive, massive game. Uh, so when you look at that, it's like when, when we live in a world where people can make a World of Warcraft joke on national television and a lot of people get it. So I did not want to keep this to the fringe of society. This needed to be something that was mainstream entertainment for most of society. And that also allowed us to build in things like streamers. Uh, streamers are a, a big part of it. You know, there are celebrity game players in this world because there are celebrity game players in our world. And we want to reflect that. And that sets up a whole other way to kind of balance back and forth is like, I need to get somewhere in this MMO in a classic cyberpunk game, I would go to a fixer or to a shady dealer or to uh, that guy in the bar that has all the bodyguards and women around him with drinks in front of him and ask them for help and favors to find somebody. In this game, you'd go to a streamer, you follow their stream, you get into the chat and you ask questions. Uh, it's the same actions. You're taking the same core fundamental actions, but they're contextualized very differently. But all of this points towards the one thing that we as a team discovered. Uh, it was a very late addition to the outline. It was a last minute addition to the outline, I think, before I gave it to the writers. And the writers all immediately gravitated to was the idea of hope punk. 
the intersection of these two things is that in lit RPGs, you are a competent character that's ultimately going to survive because you're playing in games that allow you to be the person who will save the world. And then Cyberpunk is a world where uh, the world is beating you down and there's not a lot of reasons to try to do much more than get by. So if you're playing an entertainment that encourages you to overthrow evil kings and then you're living in a world where people that appear to be evil dictators are telling you what to do, you're going to try to do something about that. And so that's why the tone of hope punk is very important and ties into the hope sacrifice uh, dynamic of Trinity Continuum. But hope was a big piece of this is that this is, again, you're not a beaten down mercenary who's just trying to survive. You have actual a chance to do something about it. Uh, and then all of this ties into the, the final piece, which I have to be vague about, unfortunately, uh, there is an undercurrent mystery inside the MMO. Something is happening inside the MMO that is causing problems. It's not just the MMO as a tool to affect the mystery cyberpunk thing. The Rather, there's a lot of things that are involved in that world, but also there's separately weird and unusual things happening inside the MMO. So you'll be bouncing between the, the, the mysteries of the two sides of things. I don't want to say what that thing is. And in fact, one thing I'm going to try to do when we go to Kickstarter with this, uh, I mean, if we go to Kickstarter, but I, I think odds are really strong that we're going to go to Kickstarter, is that when we get the manuscripts that reveal the secrets, uh, they are shuffled away to the back of the manuscript. And I'm going to put headers on there asking people not to talk about them online. And I'm asking people listening to this, if you're listening to this after uh, you see the manuscript, try not to talk about what the core mystery is because... I think that's going to be something that's interesting to players. All you need to know what we're talking about and advertising and whatnot is that something is going wrong. People are going missing inside the MMO. Players are just not logging back in. Uh, players are acting strangely inside the MMO. Streamers freak out in front of audiences of millions of people. Uh, and there are... Uh, there's a system in the game uh, where uh, in the MMO, rather than having developers program everything uh, there are uh, AIs called narrators uh, and narrators actually practically make content so rather than meeting the same farmer over and over again always gives everyone the same quest in fact there are hundreds of farmers that all have very similar problems but they're all tailored slightly for each individual player and play as players proffer actions the narrators can take that and spin off it and build new things so it is a it's generated world, but it's not procedurally generated. It's AI generated. Um, but also, uh, streamers, uh, AIs have things called spoiler tags. And so if streamers get into areas where they cause um, things to be revealed, that might be a secret for people who haven't played that yet. Uh, the, the narrators may put spoiler tags on things so that they can't actually stream what's going on or put in alternate uh, information. And certainly some factions have used spoiler tags as a way to kind of hide their clandestine meetings. Uh, so, but spoiler tags are now popping up in strange areas of the game. You know, why is this under a spoiler tag? It seems innocuous. Uh, and all seems to be happening since the latest expansion of the game. There have been two expansions to uh, Terra Surge, and since the last expansions rolled out is when these things have started happening. So it's been relatively recently, past few months. And again, this is different from other Trinity games because a lot of the Trinity games, it's it's a wide open campus and you pick your allegiance to decide how you narrow that field down to figure out which part of the world setting you want to go in with this we've pre-narrowed it and your allegiance is which 
direction you want to take your game in. If you want to ignore the central mystery, you can. You can just focus on things like overthrowing the FC and whatnot, but the central mystery gives you an immediate reason to A, play the game, and B, log into the MMO. So uh, there's, you know, well, I have to find out what's going on with all these missing people. Is it tied to the FSA? I need to log in and find out and talk to people because I can't talk to these people in the real world. I need to talk to them online. So immediately you have reason to go bounce back and forth between the two. Uh, so that's that's it. I mean, uh, some of that was me kind of talking about Trinity and some some of that was, if you've listened to other podcast interviews with me and Ian talking about Anima, uh, well, you probably heard some of that before. But I wanted to talk about where my head was at with a lot of that and why, we, why I made some of the decisions I did and why the team made some of the decisions they did. Uh, but again... Um, I really want to, uh, uh, Dixie, uh, Kevin Zarnecki, uh, Steffi Devan, Jay Gray, Violet Green, Katie Griffin, Danielle, Dominic, Neil, Mike Tomasek, all of them went really above and beyond through very difficult circumstances, making a very difficult game and probably the worst possible circumstance to make this exact game in and still delivered some amazing, amazing material. Uh, and we're trying to do some interesting stuff with the art. Uh, we had a lo- not a long army. It's a pretty short army because we're all on the same page. But um, like we want to do two different styles of art. We want to do the MMO style of art and the cyberpunk style of art. So that way they are connected but distinct. And Mike and Rich have some really good ideas on that front so that I'm excited to see. Um, we're going to have... Uh, uh, like, like I mentioned before, that uh, Terra Surge has a separate rule system, so you're actually going to have a separate character card for your anima character. Uh, and I try to get out, hopefully, I want to get small enough to be like maybe an index card or something slightly bigger than that, so you can print out a whole bunch of them and so you can go, you can flip through your ults really fast. It's like, okay, well, actually, we're going to go attack this guy in uh, their, their dungeon, so let me switch to my paladin ult or whatever. And you can flip, flip the cards, put it down, and go. And you have new stats in front of you, and you can do that. Um, there, there's, there's some new things we're trying both for Trinity and just in general that I'm really excited to see how it's working out. But that's one of the reasons why there's been, I meant mentioning playtesting a lot with this game. Uh, it's on par with Exalted Essence in terms of it's doing some new things and I really want to make sure that it's landing those new things right. So we're going to have, I've, I've had one round of playtesting privately and another one I'm scheduling uh, relatively soon. We're going to have a streamed version of uh, the game at Onyx PathCon. That's going to be a playtest. So, I mean, it's going to be slightly more polished because it's streamed and it's something we want to showcase. But also, you know, there's going to be stuff like, oh, wait, hang on, that rule's not going to work and we have to adjust things. So, uh, and we'll probably try playtesting after Onyx PathCon. If... It may be where I'm playing this all the way up to the Kickstarter. I don't know. I'm probably through the Kickstarter as people find new things that I have been looking at. Uh, it's a lot of potential here, but I'm genuinely excited about this game. Uh, a lot of the team are really excited about this game in a way that I have not seen in a while. Um, I love the Trinity games. Uh, all of them are, are really, really great, and I have a nostalgic fondness for them that will never go away. But this is exciting in a different way. This is something that's brand new, not only for Trinity, but also I think it's just a new kind of cyberpunk game. And to see so many people read it and go, I really want to see how this plays. Um, I want to see how it plays. Uh, I'm All the places I've done have been specifically on the MMO side. I've not actually run a game with both sides, so I want to see how that balances back and forth. I think it will work really well. I think a lot of people are going to also pick and choose. Um, I think... 
I'm not blind to the fact that uh, a lot of people are going to pick this up and go, well, I basically just want to play the Starpunk side. And some people are going to be like, well, I just want to play a interesting fantasy game uh, using StoryPath. And I think both of those are valid, and I think some people are going to prefer one or prefer one or the other, I should say. Um, and that's fine. I don't mind that. There's a reason why I didn't want to blur them together, is that I wanted to say, if you, there's two distinct game experiences here, and if you really just want to pick one or the other, it, it's easy to do. But also, a lot of the game, if you play it right out of the book as written, uh, are going to give you strong reasons to bounce between them back and forth. It, it's going to be I think less like, again, a cyberpunk game where it's like, okay, here's half an hour of doing that, running them back into the real world. I think it'll be more, this session we're going to play in the real world, this session we're going to play in the MMO. I think it's probably going to be more like that. But again, I want to see how people use it. I, I could be completely wrong. It could be people going in and grinding. But also I think uh, the way it's structured, you know, you can just do stuff like, uh, well, there's not really much going on right now. We're missing a couple of players. So do you mind if we just get together um, we'll pop in, uh, run a few quests in the MMO, uh, get some levels on our characters. So that way they're more powerful in case we need them later. That kind of stuff can be done too. Uh, so we'll see. I am I would love to hear what people think when they get their hands on it. Uh, so yeah, I don't have, I don't know when it's going to be coming out. As usual, we plan Kickstarters kind of uh, one at a time. Uh, and we just got done with the Avenger Kickstarter, so I think it's going to be a minute before Anima. Probably not too long, but I think it's going to be a bit before we actually start running Anima. Um, but keep an eye out uh, on our other social media. Uh, keep an eye out on the website. Definitely swing by Onyx PathCon if you're hearing this before Onyx PathCon and check out the game I'm going to run there. Um, if you're a streamer and you want to playtest it on your stream as well, uh, get in touch with us. Um, I'm sure we can work something out because I would love to see other people and what they do with it. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 definitely a weird it's definitely a, a weird game that we I haven't done before. Onyx Path hasn't really done before, so let's see how it goes. And we're back. Wait, are you telling me that you can't set someone on fire? Because <laughs> I think you can. I think I think we have spells for that. Dixie's been thinking about this the entire time. It's against yeah. it's against the rules in Terra Surge. The uh, the flame spells are magical fire, so they don't keep burning. It's more like a flash fire. I am making this up, by the way, I listeners. Think, don't I think actually... some of them are damage over time spells. Yeah, d- d- don't actually believe what I'm saying. <laughs> That's just a good rule for life. Don't believe what you're saying. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Eddie, when I listened to your design diary, and I did actually listen to Oh, it, hey, we're on topic. I... That's cool. Yeah, <laughs> I, I made some notes that I'd like to ask you about now. Wow, all right. Uh, and one of them is actually related to fire. So that's the <laughs> only reason I'm bringing it up. <laughs> I couldn't have planned this better. At one point you were discussing... <laughs> I feel like this is a job interview. Uh, at one point, Mr. Webb, you were discussing how uh, interesting it was developing a book while the world is on fire. Those were the words uh-huh. you used. Ah, in, in reference to such uh, problems as politics and coronavirus. Mm-hmm. I would like you to explain, um, as best you can, to the interview board, uh, <laughs> what what kind of... Uh, <laughs> well, have, have you ever had an experience like that before? 
where you have found the events of the world outside have been directly impacting people's works. Because what I found very interesting about what you were saying was how you were finding people were writing in an almost apologetic fashion at points mm-hmm. um, for, for very clear reasons. And I just wondered, because you've been in this game a little while, um, have you ever seen assignments, uh, you know, a mass of assignments, I suppose, that have been affected in such a way? Uh, well, Take your time. To loop back to an earlier point, uh, it turns out I am actually alarmed by this. So uh, that I think we've solved that question. <laughs> you, the fact that you're so prepared is actually quite alarming. But um, yes and no. Um, I do remember I started my career uh, right around the time, inadvertently, that uh, 9-11 happened. Uh, it, was, it wasn't like 9-11 happened and say, well, now time to join, join the RPG industry is more... Uh, uh, <laughs> kind of simultaneous as it were. <laughs> um, but that was me specifically. And I, at the time I'd really taken it to a no time, like the presence. I really need, to, if I really want to do this, I need to devote myself to it kind of situation. Uh, um, since then I have had individuals I've worked with who have had personal crises that have impacted them. That's I think fairly common, uh, right. but it is the first time where, a team across the board had been so clearly impacted by events. Uh, and it wasn't, it wasn't even homogenous, right? It wasn't like everyone in the project simultaneously said, threw their hands up and said, okay, I need, I need a fucking minute. Um, it wasn't like that. There was more like a, a trickle of people because some people were trying to power through it. Some people were clearly wanting to broadcast ahead of time. Some people were more communicative about it than others. So it was really near later on the project where I started to notice that trend. And I actually even, I, I believe mentioned it once in email saying, Hey, we're all going through a lot. It's mm-hmm. pretty clear. We're going through a lot. Uh, so it, it, it was, it was something that more in hindsight, I think than anything else. But um, I know uh, uh, Dixie has mentioned in the past, in the past cast, like for example, she needed a third draft. And I think that was part of uh, uh, the overall everything going on at the moment. Mm. There's both the logistics of like, People were running late. Um, people need extensions, which again, in this kind of project management, we've all seen that. So that wasn't surprising. Uh, but more, like I mentioned, uh, people who are normally very comfortable with digging into hard topics and really addressing them in a very real level were, were being much more coy in their writing in a way that I could tell I'd seen. Mm-hmm. Um, people are going, no, oh, let's maybe not do it. Like the, um, and that was really kind of the, 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 the cyberpunk side of it. The, the MMO side was pretty much doing what it needed to do. It was more shifting gears between was harder. It seems mm. uh, on that front. Uh, whereas the, okay, I have to write about fascism now. Um, and things that feel an awful lot like this fantasy I'm writing about are happening in the real world and, and how does that impact me that I saw more of uh, and again some people wanted to really emphasize to the reader that we don't support this uh, which we don't in case that's not abundantly clear uh, but other times some people really kind of just wanted to uh, kind of veer around it and, and not address that uh, and to be clear Anima's not at its core, a game about fascism. It, it, it's more the fact that that is a component of the background that is important to understand the context the game is taking place in. Yeah. And also, uh, Cyberpunk 
specifically in really any genre that has the suffix punk and believes it, you ultimately need to have anything to punch up against. So it was important to get that done correctly. So it's one thing like, say, a World Darkness book. There's always a background radiation of everything's awful. And you're opting into a horror game, so a certain amount of it's going to be horrible. And, and you get that. So I think even if you're working on, say, a vampire book during a time period, it might be a little harder, but you know what you're getting into when you're writing it. It might be exhausting. It might be like, mm -hmm. okay, I need a break from this. But it's not a surprise. I think the topic becoming so suddenly resonant for all of us was the big shift. And that was what the surprise was for me. So I haven't really run into that kind of sideswipe of reality hitting a game's core topic so hard so fast. Well, thank you very much for your answer, Mr. Webb. I'm afraid you didn't get the job. Oh. Uh, we've, already, we've already given it to the other candidate, Dixie Cochran. Uh, <laughs> now, you can, now you can meet uh, Ms. Cochran. Uh, just been waiting in the reception for the forms to be filled in, but we were very entertained by your answer. Oh, good. Oh, good. I'm, glad. I'm glad it was only a waste of my time. <laughs> But but I, I am I am curious, Dixie. Uh, I've been you you were also on the team, and, and I obviously I've been speaking a lot for the team. But I mean, do you feel like I, I'm I was I'm pretty accurate in this assessment, or do you have a different take on it? Yeah, no, I can see that. Like, I think we were all kind of like tentative and weird at first because you know we're writing about Cascade at a time when the U.S. is going through some upheaval. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think we got there, and honestly, I think it informed our writing really well in the end. I will say one thing uh, uh, I know I talked about in the interview, but I, I think it's worth kind of reiterating is that the flavor of cyberpunk, I think really changed the result of COVID more accurately. I mean, I mentioned uh, fashion a couple times here, but I think COVID really informed our design a lot more than the political situation because we developed a game that was much more about isolation than I think we had started and planned to originally. Um, originally it was a lot more, oh, it's going to be a teeming metropolis of people because that's kind of the classic cyberpunk urban environment trope. Um, and instead, it's shifting into a game where it's about living in your head, perhaps literally. Uh, I think that really came about of living through uh, the lockdown and coming to terms with that. So, And I think it gave it all, it's going to give it a distinctive flavor. I think Anima as a result has a flavor that it's going to be different. It's going to be recognizable. I think people are still going to see it as, oh, it's definitely cyberpunk, but I think people are going to find something new and interesting as a result of us kind of shifting our focus and, and, and emphasizing things differently than we would otherwise. Yeah, this is uh, all surprisingly on topic, and, and I'm weirded what? out. What? <laughs> well, we can, we can change that. Don't worry. Uh... I have faith in you. <laughs> Uh, no, I always enjoy these design diary episodes. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, it's, we haven't done many of them, but I really think they do add insights uh, for people who are interested into the development process that goes into a game, including a lot of things you may not have considered. And mm -hmm. when I think of it uh, and what you said in this diary about this kind of thing, not just this kind of thing, but the iterative process that went into uh, developing Cascade and Terra Surge as mm -hmm. independent settings... Uh, it's it felt you know it it felt true to what I was going through around the same time with games I was developing. Except I may not have necessarily realised it to such an extent because 
my subject matter wasn't quite as, I guess, affected by what was going on in the real world. Right. Uh, a lot of my games feel, I guess, a little more fantastical, if that makes sense, than, yeah, than mm-hmm. Anima, the, the game with the fantasy MMORPG in. <laughs> right. Um, Super realistic. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, uh, I, I found it very interesting. I hope the listeners did as well. Well, and also, I mean, um, I, I think, uh, correct if I'm wrong, but I think in your on your front, on the one hand, you have that they came from games which are very clearly escapist games, right? Mm. Um, um, they're they're you're looking at escapist medium and then making a parody of that. So I mean, you have a couple layers of, of buffering, and then on the other hand, before we talk about the horrors of a game like Vampire the Masquerade, there is a comfort there because you have so many years of history and and structure and tone and things to fall back on. So um, obviously you want to bring a fresh perspective to that and really kind of dig in and and bring more depth and nuance and and flavor to that. But there's still a scaffolding there. Right. Mm. Something that that you can kind of rely on. Whereas with Anima, it was completely new. So we were building our uh, safety net as we were kind of walking over top of it. So I think it's another piece of it is it's the, we can just, scrap this whole thing and do a go a different direction if we want to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that's both liberating and terrifying. And indeed alarming. Indeed <laughs> alarming. But not terrifying. Uh, so if uh, someone was uh, alarmed about being on fire and wanted to talk to you about it on social media, Dixie, where would they find you online? If you're on fire, please do not contact me on social media. <laughs> That is the worst decision you can make. First, yeah, she doesn't out- have time for people that are on fire. <laughs> First, put out the fire. <laughs> then we can talk about it. I'm not sure how I'm going to help you on Twitter with your being on fire problem. Uh, if you want to talk to me about Anima or Terra Surge or any of that cool stuff, uh, you can find me at Dixie Cyanide on most social media and on all the Discords. And Matthew? Uh, well, they can find me on MatthewDawkins.com. Uh, that's always a good place to look. They can also find me on Twitter uh, at DawkinsMP. And I've got to say, regarding the um, being on fire thing, if we can be serious <laughs> for a moment, now, uh, there, there are lots of people in the world on fire right now. No, uh, I always wondered, you know, that, um, or I hate the Kings of Leon. I really cannot stand the sound of the lead singer's voice. But you know their song, Sex on Fire? Yeah. That's their most famous song. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Uh, it's don't you think it sounds like a venereal disease? Yes, uh, I do. Um, yeah, yeah, it doesn't ev- sound appealing. Every time someone talks about sex or beds or whatever being on fire, I'm like, this is not good. You don't want that in your life. <laughs> no. So yeah, whoa. You- <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going, I'm not going to actually scream it. Yeah, your sex is on fire. <laughs> it just seems more like a warning. Yeah, you've got a horrible rash uh, or words to that effect. <laughs> so that's what I'm going to leave you with. Don't contact me about Kings of Leon because I can't stand them. <laughs> uh, and if you wanted to talk to me about Anima, because none of the topics I'm qualified to talk on. Um, you can talk to me at uh, pugsteady.com. You, there you get access to uh, my contact form. You can find me on Twitter at pugsteady. You can find me um, the Onyx Path Discord, generally hanging out in uh, both the Anima channel and also the Onyx Pathcast channel. 
you can find all of us at theonyxpath.com. You can find very find a blog, our Discord, as mentioned, social media, and the like. Uh, and yeah, at some points uh, in Onyx PathCon, um, I believe it's Saturday, we will, you'll be able to see the first ever unveiling of this game and the the. I think potentially really, really fascinating permutations it's taken. Yeah. So also, if you uh, didn't I'm, know, Onyx PathCon is coming up. Yes, Onyx PathCon. <laughs> is very, I should probably mention that um, Onyx PathCon is uh, June eleventh uh, through thirteenth. Yes. Yes. Okay. Hey, I got it right. Um, and that's going to be a Portland online virtual convention. So uh, we'll have uh, our website up, and you can uh, sign up for games. I believe by the time this goes live sign up for games to play and we'll be live as well as signing up to run games. So feel free to do either of those things. Uh, and we'll have uh, panels and events, uh, not only on the Onyx Path Twitch channel, but on some of our partner Twitch channels as well. So lots of things to watch and do and participate in during the course of the weekend. So definitely uh, come hang out, say hi, um, get to know some of your other fellow Onyx Path fans and uh, hang out with us. And even uh, we have an after party plans. Uh, yeah, so, it's going to be fun. So yeah, there's definitely going to be Lots of things going on that weekend. So come out, hang out. Uh, we look forward to seeing you all. And as always, many worlds, one pathcast. Cast.